This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, so I was this close to saying good morning and happy Sabbath, everyone, and today's actually only Thursday, so uh, forgive me for that. Still a little groggy. Uh, so my name is D. Casper. I work for Unseen Media Group, and this particular seminar is entitled Snapchat Selfies and Salvation, uh, but the overarching theme is Stealing Lucifer's Playground. We're basically going to deal with the topic of digital media, how Satan seems to be using digital media in a wonderful way to win souls for his kingdom. We would like to find ways to use social media to reach souls for God's kingdom. So everything we'll be covering in this session, the next session, both of mine will be dealing with specifically the topic of social media, how to use it as an individual responsibly and evangelistically. The third session is going to be done by Jamie Jean Schneider from the North American Division. She's the digital strategist for them. She's a mad scientist on this stuff. Literally one of the best resources we have in the Seventh-day Adventist Church today. And she's going to be covering how to run a campaign. Everything from boosting posts to targeting ads. Everything you'll need to know from the back end to make your posts effective as an organization. And then my friend Jasper Ivan Atriega over here on the side of the room is going to be doing two sessions on the topic of video. How to create visual content to uh, gain people's attention and to win their souls for Christ. He's got some amazing testimonies. I can't wait to hear that. So that's kind of the direction that we're going in our five sessions together. There's going to be four today and one tomorrow. And I'm super excited. So what I'd like to do is begin with a word of prayer. I'm just going to kneel, invite you guys to bow your heads, and then we'll start. Oh, Father, I thank you for this privilege to come into your presence. And I just ask now that you would bless us, that you would speak to us, that this content would be relevant, that it would be done in a timely fashion. And I pray that we would be convicted by what we hear and that we would want to be even closer to you and use this for you more and more. And we ask this now in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I first want to start with just kind of a biblical framework of why social media matters when it comes to the gospel with kind of a parallel found in Acts chapter 19. Did you know that the Apostle Paul actually got the gospel to go viral 2,000 years ago? Were you aware of that? So in Acts chapter 19, I'm just going to kind of overview for time's sake, but this is found in Acts chapter 19. Paul was preaching in a place called Ephesus. How many people have heard of Ephesus, right? So the book of Ephesians was written to people at the church of Ephesus. Timothy pastored the church at Ephesus. The Apostle John died in Ephesus, I believe. So it's an important place in Scripture. So... Paul is preaching the gospel in the synagogue for three months, reasoning with the Jews. They start giving him blowback. They start kind of pushing back against what he's sharing. And he says, fine, I'm going somewhere else. He leaves the synagogue, and he goes and rents a place called the School of Tyrannus. The School of Tyrannus. And the School of Tyrannus was basically, uh, actually, I'll go ahead and skip to there. It, it, I mean, it's kind of like this. They didn't have chalkboards and ceiling fans, but I'm assuming the School of Tyrannus was something kind of like this. Right, kind of an academic environment. you got Saul there, or Paul, and he's telling the story of Jesus, Jesus Christ in the gospel. But the school of Tyrannus was basically um, 
Well, let me continue with this first. I'll read the narrative, and then I'll come back to what the school of Tyrannus was. He preaches in the school of Tyrannus for two straight years, the text says, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 10. And it says that, So all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. This is the Asian province, Roman province of Asia. But how is it that this guy, being in the school of Tyrannus in Ephesus, somehow has the entire province of Asia hear the gospel when he never leaves? He stayed there for two straight years. How did all these people hear? Someone came, they heard Paul share, they went home and told people what they heard. Someone else came, they went home and told people what they heard. In our today's nomenclature, they hit like and share on their profile, and people around them came to know the thing that was appealing to them. Does that make sense? Very similar idea of what happened to the school of Tyrannus. And in two short years, the gospel's preached all over Asia while the guy stays in one place. Social media has that potential to do something just like this. So this was a facility in Ephesus where in the heat of the day, it was too hot to work outside, and it was used for kind of the upper echelon in society. They were the ones using the school of Tyrannus first thing in the morning. But after they finished, the place was just vacant. And so people during the heat of the day would come here and just hang out, and they wanted to hear new ideas, and they were killing time. Basically, it was a place to kill time and hear new ideas, and lots of people would gather around, very much like the Areopagus. Paul recognized this, and so he rents the place and decides to share the gospel with these people because they're open to new ideas. And that's basically what happened. And social media is very much that, right? It's a place where people go to kill time and hear new ideas. Um, and, and they did it after work and after school. That's basically the times whenever they did this. And that's what we do, but let's just be honest. We're looking at this stuff when we're in school and at work too, aren't we? I won't tell your teachers. So, why does this matter? Is social media really that profitable for the gospel? Can you really get anything done? Well, check this out. Here's some staggering statistics. The world population right now, according to Mr. Google, is 7.6 billion people. That's a lot of people. 3.8 billion people are on the internet. That's half, okay? 2.8 billion are active on social media. 1 billion are active on Facebook. 100 million use Instagram every month. And 91% of retail brands use two or more social media accounts. By the way, all these slides are going to be available on the GYC website and in the app. We're working on getting those for you guys, too, so you can see them again afterwards. So, internet users have an average of 5.54 social media channels. How many people have five social media channels at least? Five. So, you got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, YouTube. Does, does anyone here actually use Google Plus? Okay, I, I just wonder if I was the only person that avoided it or if other people actually use it. It's okay if you do, no problem, just wondered. So 75% of Facebook users and 50% of Instagram users visit those sites daily, okay? And they've got hundreds of millions, if not billions, in this category. Social media use increased by 482 million since January of 2016. Do you see how many people this is? This is a lot, folks. One million new active mobile social users are added every day 12 a second, okay? Face, this is crazy. Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp handle 60 billion messages a day. Just those two platforms. That doesn't count iMessage. That doesn't count whatever Android users use. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, on any given day, Snapchat reaches 41% of 18 to 34-year-olds. Raise your hand if you're between 18 and 34 years of age. Between 18 and 34, raise those hands high. It's a majority of the people in this room, isn't it? Snapchat reaches 41% of these people 
any day of the week. If you heard the reports in the annual council this year, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we ain't even close to that, right? We're hoping to be, but we're not doing the best here. Instagram's got their attention somehow, or Snapchat has their attention, but we as a church, we're trying to find ways to fit into this demographic. 50% of 18 to 24-year-olds go on Facebook when they wake up. I'm not going to ask you. Um, how many people do you think are picking up one of these when they wake up, huh? Right? Now, if we were doing our due diligence on social media, they may be seeing stuff about Jesus in their feed when they go to find that stuff. Average daily time used on social media in 2016 was 118 minutes. Now, I'm not going to get crazy biblical on you right now, but that's nearly a tithe of their day. Just saying. Internet use based upon regions. East Asia is killing it. 923 million people. South Asia, 585 million. Africa, 362 million. West Europe, 353, and it kind of goes down as you go. The United States, North America, that counts Canada too, 320, okay? But that's a lot of people just on the internet, right? Access to the internet. Social media platforms, who's on them? 1.9 billion people are on Facebook. 1 billion on YouTube. Instagram has 600 million. Twitter, 317 million. Snapchat, 300 million. Are you starting to understand why this could potentially be important when it comes to a mission field, right? This, this is literally a 1040 window for our church. This is an area that we got to get into and make a difference in, okay? The Apostle Paul's mouth would be, I was just talking with someone at breakfast about this today, that the Apostle Paul's mouth would be watering if he could access this many people this easily. That's why he went to the school of Tyrannus. Now, he's not going to be taking a bunch of those sideways neck selfies. I assure you of that, whatever those are. But... Um, I'm dating myself a little bit, but still, regardless, I don't think he would be doing that. But if you have access to that many people that easily, let's use it for the gospel, yeah? So, some of you may be asking the question this bear is asking, though. Yeah, but aren't there, isn't there a lot of bad stuff on social media? And yes, there can be bad things there. I have another question. Are there bad things in the mission field? Someone's got to go. Now, that does not mean you sell your soul just to be present. There's a difference, and I'm going to cover that in a moment. But to just say that bad things happen there, so we should stay away, if Jay and Andrews took that position, the Seventh-day Adventist Church would not be a global movement. So we can't just run from things that seem scary, but we shouldn't be running into burning buildings either, right, without understanding what we're getting ourselves into. And that's what we're going to cover in my two sessions. So what is on there? Terrorist propaganda, right? ISIS got a lot of followers, and I don't mean in a, tw in a Twitter sense, through Twitter. A lot of people bought into their philosophy through social media. Violence. Cyberbullying. This is no joke. We're going to close with this. Pornography. That's the safest picture I could use without getting kicked out, because I just started. <laughs> I'm only 10 minutes in. I could get kicked out in 10 minutes. Um, Facebook Live. Now, it's not that Facebook is the problem. It's that now anyone can put whatever they want as a live broadcast, and it takes time to catch up that something isn't good that's happening there. This particular screenshot is from a situation earlier this year where a group of teenagers in Chicago kidnapped a mentally disabled individual and basically tortured them and bullied them live on Facebook. Now, First of all, don't do that. I mean, that, that's obvious. But second of all, if you are going to do it, and remember, I said don't. They know who did it. There's no, you're not posting it from an anonymous profile. It just makes no sense to me. But I'm kind of glad they did that so they got caught. Not that he got hurt, but just that at least you can find who did it, because that's unacceptable. Spiritualism. And I don't just mean Beyonce videos, like all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, now, addiction and how social media shapes the brain. 
Uh, this guy, this is like really true. How many people have felt like this cartoon guy, right? Like you're just drowning in, in your phone, owning your life. You just can't quite get above the tide. So I have a couple of videos on this that I think are absolutely hilarious and awesome, but they're also very practical and helpful, okay? Here's the first one. This is an AT&T commercial I found on the Facebook. You're just jonesing for a dopamine fix. Every time my phone dings, you get a big old hit. It's an addiction. How many people have felt like that? Like you're driving and you know you shouldn't look at your phone, but like there's this thing, this animal inside of you that, but what if they sent me an emoji? What, what is it? Like what have they sent me, right? So that's AT&T. They made a good commercial on that. Um, this, how many people have watched ASAP science videos? Don't tell them I'm showing this right now. Okay. Um, this is talking about how social media is actually changing the way that your brain chemistry is working. We think and act differently now just because of social media. Here we go. With social media sites being used by one third of the entire world, they've clearly had a major influence on society. But what about our bodies? Here are five crazy ways that social media and the internet are affecting your brain right now. Can't log off? Surprisingly, 5-10% to of internet users are actually unable to control how much time they spend online. Though it's a psychological addiction as opposed to a substance addiction, brain scans of these people actually show a similar impairment of regions that those with drug dependence have. Specifically, there's a clear degradation of white matter in the regions that control emotional processing, attention, and decision making. Because social media provides immediate rewards with very little effort required, your brain begins to rewire itself, making you desire these stimulations. And you begin to crave more of this neurological excitement after each interaction. Sounds a little like a drug, right? We also see a shift when looking at multitasking. You might think that those who use social media or constantly switch between work and websites are better at multitasking, but studies have found that when comparing heavy media users to others, they perform much worse during task switching tests. Increased multitasking online reduces your brain's ability to filter out interferences and can even make it harder for your brain to commit information to memory. Like when your phone buzzes in the middle of productive work. Or wait, did it even buzz? Phantom vibration syndrome is a relatively new psychological phenomenon where you think you felt your phone go off, but it didn't. In one study, 89% of test subjects said they experienced this at least once every two weeks. It would seem that our brains now perceive an itch as an actual vibration from our phone. As crazy as it seems, technology has begun to rewire our nervous system, and our brains are being triggered in a way they never have before in history. Social media also triggers a release of dopamine, the feel-good chemical. Using MRI scans, scientists found that the reward centers in people's brains are much more active when they're talking about their own views as opposed to listening to others. Not so surprising, we all love talking about ourselves, right? But it turns out that while 30-40% to 40 of face-to-face -face conversations involve communicating our own experiences, around 80% of social media communication is self-involved. The same part of your brain related to orgasms, motivation, and love are stimulated by your social media use, and even more so when you know you have an audience. Our body is physiologically rewarding us for talking about ourselves online. But it's... Did you hear the last line? Our bodies are physiologically rewarding ourselves for talking about ourselves online. And the very areas of our brain that have to do with intimacy and relationships are actually activated when we get notifications online and when we get messages. And this is one of the reasons why depression and loneliness is so common and it's heavily um, prevalent amongst people that use social media a lot. It doesn't deliver like real relationships can. It doesn't. 
but your body is kind of treating it like it should, and that's why you feel so empty and depressed and lonely all the time after binging on social media, because it's like what should provide but doesn't, yeah? So, this is one last video. Um, you, you already know him. So, uh, yeah, he, he's like super sold out to the new age, so I'm not recommending him. Uh, but the way that he deals with this topic is, is absolutely lights out. Uh, it's J.P. Sears is his name. Studies show that people check their phones 150 times per day. This is horrible, and I think we can do better. I envision a world where people have enough anxious energy that they're driven to check their phones at least 600 times per day. My mission in this life is to make sure that every man, woman, and child has their life enriched by always having a device in their hand. Always being on my phone gives me the thrill of being manically busy while I'm actually wasting my time. You need to be hypervigilant about what's going on in your feed. If there's something happening that you don't know about, then other people know something useless that you don't know. And that'll make you a less significant person. If I'm not frantically consuming content on my phone, then I'm missing out. And I don't know what that something is that I'm missing out on, but I refuse to miss out on it. You need to have a well-educated understanding of how bad things will get if you're not on your phone. One time I went an hour without looking at my phone. What happened? My family disowned me. I'll never see them again. My dog died, I went bankrupt, and my food supply was cut off. I get to feel a dopamine rush that gratifies me for 37 seconds each time I check my phone. And then I feel anxious again. And then I check my phone again. Notice that the thoughts and feelings that you don't want to experience are in here. So you'll want to position your phone here. And when you do, notice that your eyes are pointed at your phone. And that keeps your attention out here, which means you're not paying attention to what's going on in here, which is ideal. And I'm sorry to get graphic, but look what would happen if you don't have your phone in front of you. Your attention would start to notice you. And if that happens, it's nobody's fault but your own. Remember, when you're mindlessly scrolling, you're not looking for something you care about. Looking is what you care about. When a text comes in, understand that if you don't check it right away, you become irrelevant to the person who sent it. You simply won't matter to them anymore. At this point, your anxiety levels should be at least a 9 out of 10. This will inspire you to appropriately disrupt what you're doing and check your text. And avoid getting lost in a sea of irrelevance. Okay, go ahead. When you're encountering something wonderful, it can't bring you joy unless you hold your phone between you and it to transfer it to your social media. Once it's on your social media, you can see other people seeing you see something wonderful, and that'll bring you real joy. You know you're on the right track when other people take out their phone and then you reflexively take out yours, even though you have no idea what you want to look at, and it doesn't matter. Just start looking. How can people live without being on their devices constantly? According to history, if you look at times where people existed without mobile devices, you'll see that they're all dead now, which proves you can't live without being on your device constantly. Scientific studies show that if I'm not posting useless thoughts that involve no thoughtfulness throughout the day as a way of begging people to notice me, people will forget about me and I'll cease to exist. I don't want to be a statistic. For safety reasons, you'll always want to have a backup battery charger with you. Would astronauts go to outer space without backup oxygen? No, they would not, because they would die. So what would happen to you if your phone ran out of power? Something worse. 
you'd experience yourself. If I had kids, I'd give them a phone as soon as they could hold it. You do have kids. There's two of them. Really? I've never noticed them. There's a whole world inside your phone. Don't let it pass you by. So even though he's being satirical, he's being very, very truthful, right? This is a real issue. And the point I like the most about the video is whenever he says, like, what would happen if your phone died? You would have to experience yourself. And there's a lot of truth to that. In our moments of loneliness and boredom, we try to escape reality into these devices, and that's where it starts to get us into trouble. So there's a reason also, by the way, that you're getting notifications about what other people are doing not related to your posts. Twitter's the most prolific for me. I don't know if you guys get it. Or like you leave Facebook for a while, like you just don't check it, and then you start getting emails, right? You start getting emails from Instagram. You start getting notifications from Twitter saying, hey, you know, so-and-so just likes someone else's post. What's that got to do with me? They didn't like my post. But then you got that little red bubble with a number in it. And I don't know if you're like me. I hate them. I have to get rid of it. Like when I see people that have like 4,000 unread emails, it makes me go crazy inside. Like I, I, ha I have to, it's like whack-a-mole. Like I have to get rid of the red circles and they do it with this stuff, right? They are intentionally trying to pull you back in, but you don't actually have to chase the notifications. The red circle isn't actually going to be the death of you. You'll never believe it. It actually won't kill you. And I, I need to hear that this morning. So, so be my accountability buddies, would you? So some important thoughts. One. Every single form of addictive behavior is an attempt to numb pain, period. Every addiction that you have in your life, whatever it may be, could be comfort food, pornography, drugs, human sympathy, social media, you can't get off the internet, whatever it may be, we're seeking to escape actual pain that we're feeling in that moment. Psychological pain, emotional pain, loneliness, whatever it may be. If you understand this, that's how you can actually start the process of overcoming addiction. If you don't start here, you're going to kind of coerce yourself to stop behaving badly, but you won't deal with the actual brokenness. We need to know what the wounds are and deal with those, yeah? So ask yourself the question, what thoughts am I trying to avoid in those moments? What am I trying to get away from? Is it those moments when it's quiet, when no one's in the house, and I'm alone, I'm lonely? Is it after I see people's social media posts about their relationships? Is it something else? Number three, have I brought my brokenness to Jesus, or am I just looking to the attention of others to fill that void? That's the dopamine hit. The problem is dopamine in that setting, in any setting really, can't do for you what Jesus can do. It can't actually heal your brokenness. It can numb your pain temporarily, but the pain comes back. But if we give the pain to Jesus, we can be free indeed. Amen? Number four, is the cause that I'm posting about my way of escaping my real brokenness? Have I jumped into religious controversy? Have I jumped into environmentalism? Have I jumped into social justice or something else? Not just because I care about these things, but I find my identity in being an advocate. And this happens a lot. We're running into these things to find our sense of worth or value. Is that why you're doing this? Or do you actually care about these people in these situations? Ask yourself the real questions. Number five, does running so-and-so down numb the pain and the insecurity I feel? I hate myself, so I'll make someone else feel like they're not valued. Do you find yourself running down other people so that you can feel better about yourself? You shouldn't do that, by the way, but that's questions to ask, reflective questions. Some helpful steps. You choose when you reply and look. Just because your phone makes a sound does not mean your entire world needs to stop to deal with it. It can just make a sound. 
people around you make sounds and you don't go touch them, right? So it, it'll be okay. You, you can go to that whenever you need it later. I don't know why that's doing that. I don't like that. I'm literally a walking radio right now. Um, okay, let's hope that doesn't do that anymore. Question, why am I on here? I'm not going to ask you to, yeah, I am going to ask you to raise your hands. Embarrass yourselves. How many people have found themselves on social media and like 20 minutes later, you don't even remember why you got there? Come on now. Let me see those hands. Confess. All right. Yeah, so you, 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 you're going there for one thing. And 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour goes by, and you're binging on YouTube videos or cat videos or something stupid. And, and you ask yourself, like, why did I even come here? You never even looked for the thing that you were looking for, and you wasted all this time, right? So ask yourself the question, why am I going before you go? Treat it like the post office. You go in, you pick up your mail, but you don't hang out at the post office. There's nothing to do there. There's a trash can and there's mailboxes, and a mail lady and boxes and packing tape. That's all you're going to find there. So treat social media more like the post office. You go in, you drop off the stuff, you pick up some stuff, and you leave. You don't just move in, right? If you put a chair or you put a cot in the post office, that would be creepy, right? So treat it like the post office. I've heard it said this way. Don't, you ever heard people tell you don't shop when you're hungry because you always come home with more than you should have? Yeah, treat social media the same way. Don't shop when you're hungry. When you're lonely and you've got nothing to do, that's probably not the best time to go there, right? Be intentional in your use. Am I looking for affirmation and attention? Prolific selfie takers, take notice. Am I looking for affirmation and attention? Um, have some downtime when you wake up and when you go to bed. Don't let this thing control every span of your day. Guard the edges, right? Maybe your parents told you this when it comes to the Sabbath. Guard the edges of your day. Start and end your day without that stuff. Just, give your Just remember where you are, what planet you're on, what you need to do for that day. I recommend you talk to Jesus. That's just me. Um, and, and just kind of unwind at the end of your day. Because if you're running into this stuff, it doesn't go well. Get your brain all fired up. And actually, Apple and other devices have come up with a way to fix that. No, no, but we have a filter. So now that we have a filter, like nighttime mode, then it's not going to be as hard for you to fall asleep, they say. But anyway, take, take some time at the beginning and end of your day. Be honest with yourself. If you need to take time away, do it. Delete the apps, lock your phones, throw the phone in the bathtub, whatever you got to do. Be honest with yourself, okay? Are you using it more than it's using you? Ask yourself the logical question. Deal with the real root issues, otherwise you're just going to come back. You ever had those moments like, oh, I'm leaving Facebook, and you feel so pious, like, I'm leaving Facebook for like a month, and then like a month goes by, and you're just dying on the inside of your relevance. And, and then when the month is over, you just jump right back in full steam. Yet yeah, think about it while you're gone. How much time should this actually take, right? Anyway, just some thoughts just so this thing isn't ruining your life. Now, the definition of selfie, according to this slide, and I think the, one of the urban dictionaries, is a picture taken of a person by that person. But I've created a word, and don't steal this from me because I haven't patented it yet. It's called, what? Wrong button. Selfie-ishness. And it's, it's the fact that our brains are being rewired to be even more selfish than usual. And let's just be honest, we're already pretty selfish. Any parents in this room will tell you amen, right? And so they, they try to beat that out of us with the rod in our childhood so it won't be as selfish, but then we, they give us a cell phone and it comes back even worse. And so 
balancing what we're posting. Is it all about you? Are you talking about other people? Just some things to think about. A lesson from the life of Lot. So, how many people have heard of Lot? Abraham, his nephew. So, in Genesis chapter 19, Lot and Abraham, Abraham says, what do you want? You you go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. And he chooses Vegas, right? He chooses the place with the Apple Store, the library, the after-school program, Whole Foods, and Trader Joe's, right? In Earth Fair. Like, he's going for the infrastructure. And the problem is, Lot was not supposed to be living in Sodom. He lived in the plain outside of Sodom. The area gets a whooping. They're taken captive. Abraham brings them back. And then that's kind of the warning shot. If you ever get in the backwoods areas and you get the warning shot, what they're basically telling you is, I'm reloading, get off my property, right? He got the warning shot in Genesis. I think it's chapter 14. And he realized, like, he had no idea Abraham was coming for him. As far as he's concerned, he's a dead duck. He's in a lot of trouble. Abraham saves his life, he gets brought back, and then all of a sudden in Genesis 18 and 19, we find Lot living in Sodom. Well, what happened? I just can't get away, right? Now, Lot's referred to as a righteous man, but the problem is he's very comfortable around foolishness. So I really don't know what to do about this. If you want to grab one of the tech folk, that would be helpful. Um... So, anyway, he's a righteous guy who's supposed to be preaching righteousness, but he's comfortable around foolishness, yeah? And it ends up causing difficulty for his witnessing potential. And this is what we're told about Sodom. In Genesis 13, 13, before he moves in, it says that the men, the men of Sodom are exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now, just from the get-go, does this sound like a place that you're going to be filming Sesame Street? Yeah, this is not a place that you want to raise your children, Right? No way, Jose, this is not the place you want to be raising them. And yet he lives there, okay? His whole life is wrapped around being in Sodom while trying to live a righteous life. And it causes this dissonance for him, okay? Start to so, see how everything then is When he has to get out, when he has to actually leave, I don't know what to do about this. Should I use this instead? I hate doing this. I can't do that. Audioverse will kill me. Okay, so I'm going to use this, even though I hate using these things. I'll do it. So when, when Lot gets told by the angels, the angels tell him, you got to get out of here right now. Like, right, right now, mister. Get out of here. This place is an absolute disaster. You got to leave. And his response is super lame. He's like, you know, you're right. Like, I'm going to call U-Haul tomorrow. I'll book a truck for next week. We'll have a yard sale. Maybe take some stuff to Goodwill, Yeah. And he's trying to buy time when these guys are trying to save his life. God is sending angels from heaven to save the man's life, and he's arguing with them. And so he's in this situation that isn't good, but when he's sent to go tell his sons-in-law to get out of the city, it's odd, really, because he says, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city, and look what it says. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Why do you think they responded to this urgent warning this way? This is when the Boeing airplane lands in your living room, right? So here's why. Lot had moved his entire life into a place that he never should have been. All of his livelihood was tied up into being in a place that he never should have been while trying to live for God. And it caused a lot of disharmony, this this discomfort, and it murdered his witnessing potential. Because here he is telling people, you guys got to get out of here. This place is a train wreck. It's so sinful. God's going to destroy it. And just imagine being his sons-in-law. 
you know, you didn't seem to be this worried a week ago. And if this place really is all that bad, why do you live here? And why are you raising your kids here? You understand? And, we have, and, and he was not trying to avoid the reality of the Sunday Law crisis like we are. We just try to pretend that it's not going to exist. But in this situation, he could not pull people out of the city. His ability to save people and pull them out of the environment was severely hampered because he had conceded his principles to be in a place he never should have been, to be comfortable around things he never should have been comfortable around. Are you following me? And it murdered his witnessing potential. And yet we think, I can do whatever I want on social media, I can say what I want, like posts that other people can see. There's this really creepy feature on Instagram that they know what pictures you like, fellas, and people can see, I'm just saying, and ladies too, maybe, um, but I think fellows are more prone to such things. They can see. Like, I've had people that I went to Bible college with, I was like, dude, are you aware of the fact that I can see what pictures you're liking? You may want to change what you're liking. I'm just doesn't go over well, right? When we have this concession, it murders our witnessing potential. So we think that we can be just like the world and be comfortable around the world, and then when the Sunday law starts to pass, we're gonna pull people out of the burning building and they're gonna listen to us. The problem is the Bible doesn't read that way. Lot barely got out. He was saved as though by fire, Ella White says. He barely made it. His wife's lost because he tarried. His daughters get pregnant by their own dad. And his other daughters are burned in the city with their husbands. This is not a good situation. We think that we can just wait till things get bad and then turn on the Christian mode and then do something. And it also can happen in other settings where you, you post just like the world, right? You're living this dual life like Lot was kind of trying to do, but you're posting worldly things and then you tell your friend, one of your worldly friends, like their mom just died, hey, I'm praying for you. What do you mean you're praying for me? You're just like me. You're going to act spiritual now? Are you with me? The way that you post tells the type of person that you actually are or what you're wanting people to think that you are. But either way, it, it tells a lot, right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. Are you being honest in the picture that you're giving to people on social media? And if you are being honest, are you being who God would want for you to be on social media? Are you with me? These are things we need to think about if we're going to use it evangelistically, right? Because that disharmony doesn't go over well. When we're reposting foolishness, but then also posting Bible verses, it just causes confusion. Who are you, right? Some stuff to think about. Lot's referred to as a righteous man, but his righteousness did not save his family once he presumptuously moved his whole life into Sodom. Some things to think about. So how do we do it then? How do we go about this process? How many people have heard of outpost sinners? Okay, a few of us, I figured. So an outpost center is a place that's outside of a city where you're supposed to have recreation, you're supposed to have a place to commune with God, to connect with God, and get away from all the harmful influences. But you're not just living there to be a part. What you're really trying to do is have a center of influence in the city. You go in the city, you've got a health food store, right? You've got a restaurant, you've got uh, whatever good city mission things I can't think of at the moment. Um, clothing stores, whatever you would have, like things that you would use for your, your city in reach. When you have these types of outlets, you're in there to be an influence for good, but that's not where you live. That's basically the point of an outpost center. It's a missionary community outside of a city that provides education, restoration, and preparation for work to be done in the city. And then they establish a center of influence inside the city to win the people's trust and friendship 
All of this with the intentional goal of winning their souls for Christ. You find ways to build bridges with folks, homeless ministries and other things. You're finding ways to build relationships, build bridges, while not conceding to the things that they give into, right? Not, not selling your soul for the things that ensnare these folks. But you're showing them, I care about you. You connect with them. You build those friendships. I think this is the best way to consider social media. It's a center of influence. You don't live there. You don't sleep there at the end of the day. Your whole world isn't surrounded by it. But you do influence it for good. Does that make sense? Just some basic things to consider. God has not called us to live in social media, but he has called us to influence people in and with social media. You understand the difference? This is not to be your new residence, right? P.O. Box 422, Sodom, right? That's not the place where you're supposed to be living, but it is a place that you should be influencing. If we all took the position of just running from social media, staying away from social media because it's bad, no one's going to reach these people. I have people watching YouTube videos from my channel for, for sermons and other stuff in countries that I could not preach the gospel legally. And I don't have that big a following on YouTube, but these people are finding the videos. Audioverse is having a very similar influence, and so when you think about this, you can get access to folks in closed countries like Somalia that if I tried to preach the gospel there, it would cost me my head if I'm lucky, right? So we should be using these things for good, but we should be using them for good, right? This is what Ellen White says, uh, talking about the situation with Lot. She says, we should choose a society most favorable to our spiritual advancement and avail ourselves of every help within our reach. For Satan will oppose many hindrances to make our progress toward heaven as difficult as possible. Let's not deceive ourselves that there is no devil and that there is no things coming against us, okay? We may be placed in trying positions, for many cannot have their surroundings what they would, but we should not voluntarily expose ourselves to influences that are unfavorable to the formation of Christian character. You understand the difference? And she says later that those people who are called to those areas should be doubly watchful and prayerful, that through the grace of Christ they may stand uncorrupted. Yeah? Messages of Young People 419.1. When duty calls us to this, man, I just stole my slide. Sorry for that. When duty calls, that's why I remembered it so well. It's on my slides. When duty calls us to this, we should be doubly watchful and prayerful that through the grace of Christ we may stand uncorrupted. I said it right, by the way. Okay. So some counsel on things to avoid that I want to land the plane. Need I say more? Politics, right? You got the people with the red signs, you got the people with the blue signs just hollering at each other. Stay away from this stuff. And everybody say amen. amen. Now this time I want you to say it like you mean it. Amen. Yeah. Politics is not the place that you should be investing your life in. Okay? We're counseled on this. And church politics count in that category. We are militant beasts towards each other on social media to fellow Seventh-day Adventists because they voted for her or they voted for him or they're in favor of X or they're not in favor of X. Are you with me? We're behaving like children and should be ashamed of ourselves and how we communicate publicly with our own brethren. There, there are websites that have articles, right? Our church publications and other places. And if you read these comment feeds, I don't care about people posting articles. And I know that some people have a slant on this side of the aisle and some people have a slant on that side of the aisle. Free press, I'm fine with that as long as they're respectful. What I have a huge beef with is the comment sections. When we look like cannibals, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Leviticus, Leviticus 11 does not include human flesh. It's not approved. We should not be eating each other on social media like cannibals 
It's not good, right? We should not be destroying each other, tearing each other down. This is not the way that Christians behave. Are you with me? Christians do not communicate like that ever, let alone publicly for the world to see. Paul said the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And he's speaking to church people in Romans chapter 2 and verse 24, I think. So stay away from this stuff, please, right? If you have causes that you're passionate about, communicate like Christians if you talk about them at all on social media, yeah? And pray about whether you should be talking about these things. Is this really an issue or not, okay? Just my two cents. Listen to this. Nothing, this is from Auntie Ellen. Nothing frightens me more than to see the spirit of variance manifested by our brethren, not Babylonians, by our brethren. We are on dangerous ground when we cannot meet together like Christians and courteously examine controverted points. Take a picture of this, would you? I know I told you I'd give you my slides, but take a picture of this and everybody post this on social media. I'm as serious as a heart attack. 1888 materials, 534.3. I'm not even done yet. It gets gooder. But 1888, 534.3 is this quote. Okay. Can I change? No. I asked for it. Yes. 1888 materials. Mm -hmm. It's in the app. If you look it up on the app, it'll be under 1888 materials. 534.3, it continues. She says, I feel like fleeing from the place lest I receive the mold of those who cannot candidly investigate the doctrines of the Bible. She wants to throw her laptop in the bathtub because she's tired of seeing Seventh-day Adventists look like fools when they talk to each other. And then she says, she closes with this. Those who cannot impartially examine the evidences of a position that differs from theirs are not fit to teach in any department of God's cause. That means if you're a person of influence in Adventism, you shouldn't be using that platform to pander in politics. You can say amen. Everybody post this. I beg of you. If, if you forget everything I told you, just post this, okay? 1888, 534.3. Let's go. Now, this is on the topic of bullying. Listen to Ellen White telling her testimony. She says, as I became able to join and play with my young friends, you're familiar with the story, I guess, to some degree. Ellen White was hit in the face with a rock by a girl who was bullying her. It radically changed her appearance, and she developed a, a, a terrible sickness and a weakness for the rest of her life that was very difficult for her to function as other people could function really messed her up, and she, wasn't, she didn't look the same. Even her dad didn't recognize her after this happened. So she says, as I became able to join and play with my young friends, I was forced to learn the bitter lesson that our personal appearance often makes a difference in the treatment we receive from our companions. Body shaming in the 1800s. Life sketch is 18.4. It was the hardest struggle of my young life to yield to my feebleness and decide that I must leave my studies and give up the hope of gaining an education. She had a third grade education. That's all she could do. Didn't have the willpower, the strength really to do any more because someone was bullying her and picked on her and attacked her. The person felt horrible afterwards, but it doesn't change her condition. So anyway, bullying. I want to tell you a story about a girl named Amanda Todd. How many people have heard of this story? Wow, a lot of you. So this girl was bullied in a way that was just awful. So she, this is one of the things that's scary. When you get on social media and you start meeting people and you're video chatting with folks that you don't know from Adam, from anywhere else in the world, what happened was she was chatting with this guy and the guy eventually asked her to reveal her upper region on the webcam and she did. She's like a teenager. She's like a minor, like 13 or 14 or something. And anyway, the guy ends up taking a picture of this somehow and starts distributing this 
on the internet to her friend. He, he messaged her like a year later and says, these are all your friends' names, these are your parents' names, and this is a school that you attend. He blackmailed her and said, if you don't give me a show, I'm, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna post this stuff to everybody. She didn't listen to him, and around Christmas Day, during Christmas break, the police showed up to her house at 4 a.m. This picture has been circulated everywhere. Seven different schools had this passing around, plus other places. It's devastated her. And she makes the point that I can never get that photo back. And young people, please listen to me, particularly young women. Do not let anybody talk you into doing this. I'm serious as a heart attack. It's never worth it. They promise you they'll never show it to anybody. That's never true. It's never, everybody, it, it, it gets shared with other people. It doesn't just stay with one individual. It's not worth it. People are committing suicide over this. This is no joke. Do not make that mistake of being that vulnerable with someone else. If they can't respect your boundaries, they don't deserve your time or attention. And so anyway, she says, I can never get that photo back. It's out there forever. And it's true. This girl has since committed suicide. And it was a horrible situation. She, she started drinking. She started smoking, doing drugs, just to kind of get away to try to escape reality because it ruined her life. She moved towns. The guy found her again and did it again. And just this horrible situation that ruined her life. And this poor girl was, she got a call from this former boyfriend. This, and he said, hey, you know, my girlfriend's at the town. And I think you know where this is going. And she gives herself away. The girlfriend finds out. And then she gets this text message and says, get out of your school immediately. Leave this school right away. I think it's from that guy. Fifteen kids gang up on this girl. They start taunting her. And she took responsibility for all of it. And she said it was her idea. It wasn't. It was that boy's idea. But she was vulnerable, she felt lonely, she felt rejected, so she gave herself away to this dirt bag. And she ends up in this situation that they start ganging up on her, and eventually they say, hit her. And the girlfriend hits her and just starts beating her up in front of everybody. Terrible situation. She ends up just laying in a ditch, waiting for her dad to come pick her up. The cops show up. And she's so devastated because of the bullying that she had to go through in person in her school, because everyone mocked her and made fun of her, and on the internet by this guy that she literally went home and drank bleach. She actually survived. They saved her life. She moved to a different town again, but this girl just had a horrible experience, and then people start picking on her social media again, saying she should try different bleach, and I hope this time she isn't so stupid. This is the way that people are communicating with their peers on social media. This stuff literally happens. This is no joke. It's ferocious because kids don't have the, the infrastructure mentally and emotionally to realize what they're doing. They don't realize how harmful it is, and the media they watch is really poisonous. This girl goes through a horrible, horrible experience. I wouldn't wish on the worst of people on the planet. And she closes. She does a YouTube video. You can watch it today. There's a YouTube video she does where she's just doing these cards, telling her story, and it's devastating. It's heartbreaking. She closes the video by saying, I have nobody. I need someone. And then she says, my name is Amanda Todd, and that's it. A few months after she made this video, she commits suicide. The warning signs were all there. All, she tried an overdose in between those times. All the warning signs were there, folks. People didn't know what answers to give her. The problem is she didn't know what answers were available to her in the gospel. She had no idea. Maybe you felt this way. I need somebody, I have no one. Maybe that's been you. I want to close with good news for you today. You're not alone. And you do have someone. She didn't know. 
You can be those people that can do that. When you see these warning signs and people around you, you have to act. This girl's gone. She can't come back. She doesn't know what was available to her in the gospel. When you see warning signs like this, when you yourself are wrestling with thoughts like this, speak up. Are you hearing me this morning? Speak up, people. This is not okay. People are dying without hope and without Jesus. Do something. We're ranting on politicians on our social media feed, but we do nothing for people like this. Stand up. So I want to share with you Jesus' experience and how he had answers for her that if she had known, this would have changed everything for her. Jesus was viewed as unattractive in Isaiah 53 and verse 2. There was nothing about his appearance that would make him want to follow him. Nothing. Viewed as unattractive. He was rejected in Isaiah 53 and verse 3. Has Amanda Todd been rejected? Yeah, she's got a Savior that understands. He was alone in his grief, it says in Isaiah 52 and verse 3. He was physically wounded. He was beat up by people and punched in the face just like she was. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. And he was quiet about the abuse, it says in Isaiah 53 and verse 7. So was she. Continues. He was ridiculed and mocked in Psalm 22, verses 6 to 8, just like Amanda. So he could resonate with her. So he could sympathize with her and offer her hope that she didn't have elsewhere. He was stripped and cried out to God for help in Psalm 22, 18 to 21. Jesus was stripped naked and physically violated. He wasn't sexually assaulted, but he went through something very similar to be able to relate to people who go through these situations, just to be able to relate to them. He was tempted to harm himself in Matthew 4, verses 5 and 6. Throw yourself off the temple. He didn't. He overcame, but he was tempted just to be able to relate with her when she wanted to drink bleach, overdose on drugs, and hurt herself in other ways. He was betrayed by someone that he trusted in Matthew 26, 48 to 49. He was tempted to numb his pain by drinking wine in Matthew 27, 34. The wine vinegar mix, or the wine vinegar mix was meant to numb your pain. And he was publicly exposed and shamed in Matthew 27, 35, not 37, 35. So Jesus went through this to relate to her. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've been publicly exposed and you can't get your picture back. Jesus understands. He's uplifted before the entire city during the feast season when everybody's in town. Jesus understands. Young people, if you've been hurt, if you've been abused, if you've been rejected, if you feel unattractive, Jesus understands completely at the deepest heart wound level. And he has answers for you. And he had answers for her, but no one told her. You can provide answers for these people by telling them about Jesus. You can show them. But you need to live what you tell them in those moments, or they're not going to want to listen to you. This dual citizenship thing does not work. So if you've been bullied and abused, know that Christ went through this to be able to comfort you in ways that nobody else can. I want to close with two texts here. Hebrews chapter 2, 17 to 18. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 to 18. says, Therefore, in all things, Jesus had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in, them, in that he himself has suffered being tempted, Jesus is able to help those, to aid those who are tempted. Jesus had to suffer just like you young people. 
so that he could be a sympathetic high priest to offer answers for your brokenness, for your pain, for your sorrow, your loneliness, your rejection, your abandonment. He had to go through this. The Bible prophesied that this would happen so he could have answers for you and your brokenness. Hebrews 4 says something very similar. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. This is not the time to be giving up on Jesus. Amen? When you're hurting, when you have a sympathetic high priest, that's not the time to be walking away. Because it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And what does he say next? He says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You're hurting, you're rejected, you're abandoned, you're alone, you've been shamed and violated. You can come boldly to Jesus this morning. Every one of you. You can come boldly to Jesus because he understands are you with me? There's a Savior who understands what you're going through in the deepest heart wound levels, and he longs to make you well. If you see people bullied, do something about it. Are you hearing me? You cannot sit idly by when this stuff goes on. You may not see these people ever again. We're more willing to share our disgust over political and religious things, but we're, we see stuff like this happen, and we just sit on our hands, and it's sickening to me, and it's sickening to God. You say you want to be an advocate for the oppressed. What are you doing for these people in your life? Posting something on Facebook is easy. Standing up for people in your life that are oppressed is not. And I would prefer you did the latter and keep the post to yourself if you're not going to live what you believe. Amen? God needs people with boldness. So social media sin, it depends. Is it using you more than you're using it? Ask the question. Are you living a dual life? Are you trying to live a righteous life while loving Sodom? Ask yourself the real questions. Now, I've already advocated for the use of this evangelistically. You know where I stand. But you need to have boundaries. Are you with me? That's not legalism. That's reasonable. Have your boundaries. Stick to them. Have people who watch you. I've got fellow minister friends that we talk back and forth about what we're posting and what not to post. I had to have a really difficult conversation with a well-known person a few weeks ago because of the prolific posts that they had on stuff. I was like, you, you got to chill out. Like, I appreciate that you're passionate, but you got to slow down on this stuff. You're overwhelming people, right? So anyway, have accountability in your experience. That's fine. You should have accountability. It's good for us. That's what the brethren are for, right? Now, I have about six minutes left. Are there any questions that you guys have? Well, first of all, has this made sense? Yeah? I hope this isn't coming across as legalistic. This should just be balanced. Yeah, there's awful stuff there, but we need Jesus in there too. But don't assume that you can just go to some place where people need Jesus without making the appropriate preparations, and you can leave unscathed. It doesn't work. And don't assume that you can live a dual life and call people out of Sodom at the last minute. It won't work, okay? But are there any questions that you guys have on this particular topic? I'm going to deal with some nuts and bolts on how to do social media next. This is just kind of an overview and kind of the moral side. But are there any questions that you guys have in the remaining portion of time that we have before we close? Yes, ma'am. I've been told that social media actually is a cause of depression. Can you talk a little bit about that? It is true, and it's for the reason of the dopamine switch, right? So that you are, are receiving a whole lot of affirmation that immediately goes away after 37 seconds or whatever it is. 
And it causes this difficulty. This is why when people are sold out into social media for absurd amounts of time, they deal with a lot of loneliness, depression, and so forth for these very reasons. And some people are getting depressed because of the time they waste. Like they don't realize what happens and all this time has gone by, they're wasting their lives, there's other components, but it's real, but it's actually changing your brain chemistry which causes those vacancies. And we go back there, but the problem is the dopamine hits are going in areas that are meant to be taking place with genuine, intimate human relationships. This isn't a genuine human relationship. And so your body and your emotional and psychological faculties aren't understanding. Why isn't this satisfying me like it ought? And you kind of plunge into darkness. Does that make sense? It's a great question. So it is a real thing. That's why we need to kind of portion out our time. Yes? Um, what can I do um, if, like, I don't know if anyone else goes through this, but like parents um, getting into the technology and then they are on their phones and it's gotten so bad that they're even on their phone or their tablet all through church. What, what can I do to like, I don't know, like get that through them like, hey, you're addicted to it, but they don't think they are. Does anyone else see the irony in this? We think it's the old folks that see this with their kids. It is happening with adults too, it's totally true. The grounds are the same, and just I would recommend encouraging them to take time away from it and to see if they can't function without it, that will tell them that they're addicted, right? If it isn't a problem, let's just set it aside for a week. And I think it's actually rather compelling that a young person wants to tell their parent, because you're not, you're not yelling at them, you're not calling them out, but you're concerned for them, obviously. And I think that that, coming from a concerned child standpoint, should hold some weight. I hope so. Um, but sometimes, we do, in addiction, a lot of people take that response. No, no, it's not a problem. I can handle it, right? That's, that's the, the, the textbook response to being called out on addiction when you have an intervention of some sort. Um, that would be my first recommendation is, well, let, let's join in it with them. Let's just take a disconnected Sabbath and just stay away from this for a day and just see how it goes. And then ask them at the end of the day, how do you feel? Right? Kind of start with that process and see. Um, but a lot of times we think it's harmless, but because we didn't understand what we were getting ourselves into, we end up deeper than we thought we would. No one assumes that they're going to spend the rest of their life as a drug addict in the, in the streets, right? It's just one time, it's just to be, but it kind of leads to a lot of other things, right? That initial concession, when you keep going for the same hit you can't get, that's what happens. That would be my initial recommendation. Um, maybe we can talk more afterwards. Isn't that amazing though? Literally, a young person is asking that about their parents. I think that's, wow. Um, you had a question next, and then I'll come over there. As she said, um, I have the same problem at home, not just in church, but like my parents are always on their phones, even at mealtime and everything else. Yeah, that time should be sacred, right? I think that people matter to us. I think it would be good as a family to try to have those borders that, look, phones just stay in the bedrooms while we have dinner together, right? When we have Sabbath together. I'm amazed by what I'm hearing. I don't know if you are. Um, and, and I hope that parents that are listening to this take notice that people still matter, right? And, and our children don't feel like they matter and we're too busy for them. Workaholism has been hard enough on kids for generations, but media addiction on top of that isn't making it any easier. Wow. I'm proud of both of you for being so vulnerable, by the way. Um, I personally run a podcast, and uh, also just knowing other Seventh-day Adventists who have, like, let's say, YouTube channels, et cetera, that are not overtly Christian. Like, let's say on, I know there's uh, an honest lady that does baking, I do motivation, influence, social media, stuff like that. 
Um, Jesus says to mingle with people, right? And then in context with the Sodom, you know, illustration, like, do you have to be overtly Christian, like, in your content, or is it okay to literally mingle with them and just build that influence and then wait for the relationships? In other words, even though there's no clear, direct path, even though I want to witness to them, but there's no clear, direct path, like, go to my website and you'll find out about Jesus, you know? There's a fine line. Some people refer to this as friendship evangelism, but some people aren't doing any evangelism. It's just friendship. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. They're my friend. That's friendship evangelism. No, that's friendship. Friendship evangelism is building intentional relationships, looking for spiritual opportunities. And that's why I mentioned the difference between uh, having like a center of influence, that you are there mingling, but your whole life isn't immersed in the culture around it. That's the difference. There are people who are using things like bridge events. They just have a health food store, but they have Christian material available and whatever. There are ways that you can do that, right? Your personal post on your Facebook page may have spiritual things in it, but whenever they see your YouTube channel, they see that you're just dealing with different issues. But I'm actually going to cover more of the how in the next seminar, and Jasper's going to show some of the response that he's done just from being an excellent videographer with someone who's just getting started, right, and getting traction. So we'll unpack more of that as we go. But I do want to make sure that we don't, if we're using this with the intention of winning souls, we need to use it with the intention of winning souls. Does that make sense? That has to be on your radar. You have to be intentional in what you're thinking, what you're planning, that you're looking for ways to take the next step, as opposed to just, I'm only hanging out here, but I'm a, I just don't swear, but I'm near them. Does that make sense? And I'm not making that assumption about you, but it's easy to get caught in that because it's hard to take the next step. Kind of scary. What if they don't want to listen to me anymore? You don't jump into the mark of the beast right away. You build friendships. Can I pray for you? My family and I were going on a hike on Sabbath. You know, you can do other things. But that would be my recommendation is, is build friendships in those areas, but be intentional and find ways to take that next step. Yeah? Right. Yet, yet the vehicle itself doesn't have, I mean, you need to be moral, obviously, but I, I don't have any moral compunctions of someone doing great photography posts, and that's what they do, how to make blogs and vlogs or whatever, but they do it differently. Having access to people is fine. I don't think it's an issue, as long as you're not doing things that are immoral, right? You're not using worldly principles to try to get people to like you to then kind of give them the left hook of spiritual stuff out of nowhere, right? So you've you got to know where you stand in your own experience and fight in your own armor, but that would be my recommendation. Is it, was that helpful to some degree? Yeah, I, I don't have an issue with people having these bridge areas, but just be intentional and be, be upright. You have to be upright. Don't play games, right? If you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian in that area, even if it's not a strongly Christian venue. Does that make sense, whether it be photography or anything else? Um, our time has passed, so I'm going to close with a word of prayer. I'll be up here if you'd like to ask any more questions. The next session is going to be more about the how-to, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you for this privilege to have access to a medium that can reach this many people. Lord, we need help to know how to do this effectively. Bless us, I pray, and guide us with wisdom from heaven. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.